Hello. Awesome. Uh, everyone doing good? <laughs> Cannot not do good after hearing those testimonies, right? If you're not doing good, we'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> I do feel like, I felt this during worship, but I feel like we're supposed to pray into this real quick. But I just felt just faith in the room, and I specifically felt like um, there's people that you've been praying for to come to Jesus and you haven't seen breakthrough, and I feel like we're just supposed to give this a second and pray into that. Um, I don't know. It just kept flooding my mind over and over and over again throughout worship. So I want to pray into that, and I realize that probably everyone should have someone and probably does have someone that they've been praying for. And so um, let's just uh, put that person in your heart right now, and, and I'm just going to pray into that, and then we'll uh, get in the message. But yeah, I just feel faith right now for that. I, I, I really do. I feel like 421... December 8th would be a marking day. I don't know why, but I feel like God's going to do it. So, Jesus, we just put uh, these people in front of you, God, and, and we put your heart in front of you. Because <laughs> it's your heart that these people would know you. It's your heart that these people would encounter you. And so, Father, we ask you right now, that you would come and encounter them, Jesus, that you would touch them, that you would transform their hearts, God. We ask you, Jesus, we just thank you, Father, as we hear testimonies, God, that, that, Father, when you show up, you just do what you do. You wreck lives, you transform people, you heal people. It's your nature, Jesus, and we pray right now that those people would discover your nature in a way that they've never tasted it, God, and that, Father, their hearts would say, I must know this man. And so, Father, we put that before you, Father, I thank you right now that for encounters, God, for crazy encounters, um, that you would just touch people right now. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Oh, yeah, and we have a potluck <laughs> after church, so... Even if you didn't bring something, you're more than welcome to come. It's at Nieve something. What is it? 2401 Nieve. 2401 Nieve. And, uh, yeah, if you didn't bring anything, you're good. You could even maybe, we always have leftover communion, so if you didn't bring anything and you feel bad, you can just bring a little bit. So <laughs> that way we don't feel bad about having leftover communion. So because <laughs> we usually do. <laughs> Uh Jesus. <laughs> today after church. Today, yeah. <laughs> today. Um, all right. So I wanted to talk about um, running. In Hebrews, it talks about running the race. I wanted to talk about running the race, and specifically that the race is not a sprint, but it's a marathon. And, um, <clears throat> and, and I want to break that down, but... Um, I don't know if you guys heard this, but um, a few days ago, Reinhard Bonnke passed away, um, which is, uh, you know, if you don't know who Reinhard Bonnke is, he uh, was an evangelist mainly in Africa, but has also done crusades all over the world, and he's seen, I think, about 76 million people come to Jesus, which is just insane. Um, 
And what really impressed me about Ryan Hard and, and one of my friends uh, got to meet him, and one question that he asked him was, hey, Ryan Hard, how have you stayed burning for, for this long? And basically his, his response was, when I was 12 years old, I had this, uh, God just baptized me in his fire, and I've never stopped burning. And so when I think about his life and, and honestly the general he was, and I mean 78 million people coming to Jesus, and that is just insane. But, but what really touched me is, you know, 67, he died when he was 79, but 67 years of just burning for Jesus. And I think about that, and that's, that's what impresses me, and that's what I want to be for all of us, is our last breath, <laughs> we're just as passionate about God as the first day we got saved, and it just keeps burning and burning and burning. And I think the only way that we can walk in that way and walk in a manner of the worthy of his calling is if we realize that this thing is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And the reason why this, you know, that phrase really gets me is because when I was, uh, when I had, I was in Texas at the time and I had just moved to Redding, California, and uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, Michael, I've designed you not to run a sprint, but I've designed you to run a marathon. And he just kind of, you know, spoke to my heart, and I was like, okay, cool, that's good. And, um, and then all of a sudden, I'd be walking around, and people would just, random people would just prophesy that same thing, like, multiple different times. So I was like, all right, Jesus, you got my attention. <laughs> and for me, it meant a lot because I have, I have, uh, is anyone familiar with the uh, Enneagram in here? Okay, all the young people are like, yeah. The old people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Um, Enneagram is kind of like the disc test, like a personality test, but in my opinion, it's like a more accurate. And so my personality, according to the Enneagram, is a type 7, which I think really pins me pretty well. And I'll, I'll read just a, a little brief explanation of what, the, what it is. So a 7 is this. It's an, an enthusiast because... Sevens are enthusiastic about almost everything that catches their attention. They approach life with curiosity, optimism, and a sense of adventure, like kids in a candy store who look at the world in wide-eyed, ramped anticipation of all good things they are about to experience. They are bold, vivacious, pursuing what they want in life with a cheerful determination. And then something that can be maybe not so good about seven is, is that um, that, or can be not good, it's, it's that they keep their minds occupied, especially with projects and positive ideas for future. They can, um, they can, to some extent, keep anxiety and negative feelings out of conscious awareness. Likewise, since their thinking is stimulated by activity, sevens are compelled to stay on the go, moving from experience, from one experience to the next, searching for more stimulation. So, for me... I constantly like, and, I, and I, I've gotten way better at this, but for me, I'm like thinking about the next thing that like is shiny. <laughs> and I just like, 
I'm like, oh my gosh, this one thing. And, and a lot of times I can think in the future of what that one next thing is and forget there's days in between. And so especially when I was living in Texas and I was about to go to California, my mind was like living in California, although I was in Texas. And until I transitioned over to Bethel and, and in Reading, it was like I wasn't fully being present. And then once I got to California, I also, even though I was having an amazing time, it was like I had these next plans in my mind. And God's like, hey, listen, Michael, like I've designed you to run a marathon, not a sprint. And you have to realize with that is every single day you have to run the race. And, and so he started to frame my mind around what does it look like to run this race, not with just the next big event in mind, but with perspective of eternity in mind. And I love what someone said. They said that our lives are 80 years or whatever tacked on to eternity. And so that puts your life in perspective, and, and it also puts your life in perspective to realize that, that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And because I'm more like spontaneous and crazy, I don't always plan out my life. But even if you were a great planner, any great planners in the room? You like to plan things out? Okay, even if you're a great planner, you might be able to plan out. No one raised their hand. <laughs> I just realized no one raised their hand. I think we need to pray for that. Like they say, pray for the harvesters because the harvest is plentiful. Pray for the administrators because we need help. Um, but anyways, because I'm more spontaneous, I don't really like plan out. I'm not a big planner, and so I can kind of live at this at the seat of my pants, but even if you are a super big planner and you plan out your life five years or ten years in advance, which is crazy, the reality is, is do you realize that God is authoring your faith and he sees the end and the beginning? And he sees the end and the beginning, and what I love about God is how many of you guys know there's a, there's a big gap between the end and the beginning? And I love the fact that he doesn't tell you exactly where you need to be all in one fell swoop. <laughs> because that would completely overwhelm us. But because he's such a good father, he leads us on the path of the race one step at a time. And I love what Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes. 3.11 says, it says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom why God or what God has done from the beginning to the end. So that's pretty mind-blowing. In your heart, he's put eternity, but then he says he's made everything beautiful in its timing. Meaning he's put something so extraordinary on your life, but yet with your life and all that you're going to do, he says, I'm going to make every single moment beautiful in its own timing. 
And so when you think that every moment is beautiful and it's timing, all of a sudden you can become present with the moment that he's given you right now. And so <clears throat> this is a message for me. <laughs> and uh, so when I was in Reading, you know, God was speaking to me about these things and, and, and how he's designed me to run a marathon, and then people would confirm it. And uh, in that whole time period, um, one of my buddies named Giannis, which is, gosh, I love Giannis. He was a German dude. He's just super passionate dude. And he's like, hey, bro, I, I can't even do his accent. I won't even try. Uh, <laughs> I, you guys have seen that before, and I'll start in a German accent, and probably end up in a Spanish accent. So I won't just save us. <laughs> and all of you guys are like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, Michael, we need to go on a run. <laughs> I, that was terrible. That was so bad. I didn't even practice that. Anyway, so he's like, bro, we got to go on a run. I was like, okay, let's do it. So we talked about, we're like, and I'm not, actually, I really don't even really like to run. I love to hike, but I'm just not a big runner. But I was like, oh, whatever, we'll go run. And so we're planning, let's, you know, do a mile or two. And so, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And so we uh, start running. And I haven't ran in forever. Like, my conditioning was not super great at all. And here we are running. And so we get into our run. And I'm feeling pretty good. We do, we're going to do like a mile or two. And we get to a mile or two. And we're like, man, we're still feeling pretty good. And so... We keep running, and then we're like three miles, four miles. I'm like, whoa, dang, this is crazy. And then all of a sudden, we're seven miles into it. And, and mind you, I don't think I've ever, never ran seven miles. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. And so I'm still feeling good. And, and the whole time, I'm not thinking about this word. And all of a sudden, we get seven miles into it, and the presence of God just hits me. And I'm like, and so the presence of God hits me, and I remember, and God's like, I've designed you not to run a sprint, but I've designed you to run a marathon. And all of a sudden, I'm like running, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, bro, I think we're going to run a, mar a half marathon. And my, my friend who's this German dude who's just passionate about it, he's like, let's do it, dude, or whatever. I was like, all right. And so as we're doing it, the presence of God is just getting just more and more and more. And then I'm finding myself like drunk and laughing in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and just going for it. And I'm just like, as I'm running, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, hopefully no one heard me, but I'm just sounding like a crazy man, I'm sure, like running down the street. And the whole time, I'm just full of joy, full of laughter, full of God. And as I'm running, I'm just prophesying, like, about just these things are just coming to me. And I'm just prophesying about what my life is going to be about and who God has designed me to be. And it's just like getting, I'm just getting worse and worse in a good way, in the Holy Spirit as I'm running. And then it's like 8 miles, 9 miles, 10 miles, 11 miles, 13. And we ran 14 miles. And cold turkey, I hadn't ran in forever. So I know it was God. <laughs> um, but it was just such a beautiful moment to me because, 
You know, before when, when God had kind of spoken the word, like I've designed you not to run a sprint but a marathon, I thought of marathon as like grueling, gritting your teeth and like running. <laughs> and when you can't run, just keep running. But all of a sudden in that moment, which I think that's probably what a marathon looks like without Jesus, but <laughs> I'm thinking like if I ran that marathon now, I'd be like, <laughs> um, but God spoke forth, <laughs> I've designed you not to run a sprint, but a marathon, and all of a sudden I had the ability to run it. And not only did I have the ability to run it, but I had the ability to run it with joy and to run it with honestly just being fully drunk in the Holy Spirit, which was like the greatest feeling ever. Now I love running with Jesus only, though. Only with Jesus. If Jesus is in there, then still run. But it changed my perspective of what this race is supposed to look like and how we're supposed to run it. Because I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to become mature in the Lord. And when I say mature in the Lord, I mean, I don't want to become someone who's mature in the Lord because I know a lot about theologically. I don't want to become someone mature in the Lord who's super serious. Like, I want to become more and more dependent and more and more childlike on God every day I grow deeper and deeper in Him. And I actually believe that's how we're supposed to become. <laughs> and so running this marathon and what it looks like, I believe, is fully realizing that he has made everything beautiful in his timing. And it says that his mercy and his grace is new every day. And so if his mercy and grace is new every day, then that means we get to experience God in a new way every day because there's actually grace to do it. And so with that grace, all of a sudden there's a capacity to run a new way that we've never ran before that fuels us and fuels our walk in our relationship with him. And it's funny because as we were running, I got into this like pace and my friend you know, if he was faster, I would tell you, but he was actually slower. And it's probably okay for me to say that because I think Peter said the same thing about, no, John said the same thing about the rest of the disciples. So um, <laughs> John says he beat all the disciples to the tomb. So anyways, <laughs> that's not a part of the story. But the part that is about the story is I got into this pace and I wanted to stay with my friend, but to be honest, he was a little bit slower and it was like my legs like, if I slowed down and didn't keep the same pace, like, I could feel my body wanting to stop. And so I had to stay at the same pace. And so what, what does that mean? I think every, you know, his mercy and his grace is new every morning. And there's a tempo and there's a rhythm that he's put in our lives for us to go after him. And when we're in the tempo and in, when we're in the rhythm, all of a sudden there's a capacity to run after him and to know God in a new way. And if you're not in the tempo, then things feel hard and things feel challenging. And so <clears throat> I love the way that God explained this to me. See, God has to speak to me in different ways because, like I said, I'm a seven, I'm spontaneous. And so instead of like the word like, routine just sounds very bland to me 
like, I, he's got to use, he speaks to me in a different way. So he's like, Michael, you need rhythm in your life. And I'm like, God, I love you. Like, <laughs> like routine, I'm like, ah, routine sounds boring. Discipline sounds boring, but rhythm sounds good, you know? Rhythm sounds like, I like that. Like, everything has rhythm in life, you know? Like, you dance, you got rhythm. Like, everything's got rhythm. Animals have rhythm, you know, Seasons have rhythm. Everything has rhythm. And God has put a rhythm over your life. And I believe in order to run the race well, you have to realize what season you're in and what he's calling you to. And when you can find the season and the rhythm and the grace that he's called you to, all of a sudden there's a capacity to run after God in a new way that you never had before. And sometimes we're trying to run the race in the way that we were running it last season. We don't feel like we have the capacity anymore. And the re- reality is, is it's just he's changed the rhythm. He's changed the grace. And when you find the rhythm and the grace, all of a sudden you have the capacity to do it. And you find like, wow, this, this feels good. <laughs> and so I believe running the race has so much to do with having childlikeness. It's, it's a perspective, and it talks about him being the author and the finisher of our faith. And I believe faith is actually a perspective that we live by and we have a lens in which we see through. And so it says we walk not by sight, but by faith. And so faith is a lens that you're seeing the world through. And a lot of the times, the way we see the world and the way we see life is through lenses. It's we experience something that hurts us and pain, and all of a sudden we put up this lens in which we see life, and all of a sudden we're viewing life all of that way. But the cool thing about God is he's not called us to walk through our, by our lenses. He's called us to look through faith. And so what does that look like? The way that I see it is, is I did this a uh, couple weeks ago. I did something that I said I would never do. And I actually have to publicly repent because I said, <laughs> you guys are like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, this might even be heresy, but I said that cats were of the devil. And about a couple, you guys are like, oh my God, I didn't know what to expect there. And I said I would never get a cat, ever. And the reason why partly I said I would never get a cat was because when I was three years old, my cute little self went to go pet this, what looks like a cute little friend, and that cat scratched me from here to here, and I was like, uh-uh, I don't like you. You're from the devil. And on top of that, I'd met a lot of mean cats that just like, you know, you wanted to pet them and like, I'm like, man, I just want to pet you. And so anyways, I made, I, I had this lens in my mind, cats are from the devil and I don't ever want to have one. And then all of you are like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, wow, I'm so offended. Um, and so anyways, I had this lens in my mind, and all of a sudden, 
one of, uh, we have the rental house we were working on, and one of my tenants had a cat. And while I was working, this cat would come and visit me. And this cat just wanted to hang out and play. And I'm like, I hate you. And then it was like, <laughs> and then it just slowly softened my heart to it. I was like, you know what? I kind of like this cat. And myself, my old self is like, stop it. <laughs> and so, anyways, this cat grew on me. And all of a sudden, I was like, you know, this thing's not so bad. And then the Colsons got a cool cat, no pun intended. And I was like, man, I kind of like this cat too. And then on top of that, I find out, like, you can leave cats for extended amount of time. And our life is like... <laughs> You guys are really light. <laughs> I mean, that is. It's great. And so, anyways, I was like, I like cats because, well, one, our, our life is really busy and we, I love dogs. I've always been a dog person, but we just don't have a lot of time right now. And so it's nice that you can leave the cat home alone and you don't have to worry about it for a couple days, even though we haven't done that yet. But, <laughs> anyways, so my... I'm like starting to grow on, of the idea on this thing. And then I hear that and I'm like, oh, wow. Like this is actually like, it'd be kind of nice to have a cat maybe. And so anyways, we got this cat. And I will say, I really like the cat. And I even find myself talking to it like a baby. So, <laughs> and <laughs> this actually ties into what I was going to say. But I, I wondered as we had this cat, I was like, you know what, I want to, I want to experience the way the, the cat sees things from its perspective. And, and so with that, I was like, <laughs> you guys are really laughing, they're making me laugh. So, more Lord. I don't know if it's the Lord or I think it's just me it's saying just stupid stuff. <laughs> so anyways... <laughs> So anyways, I decided I want to see the world from the cat's perspective. And so I kind of was like, man, it's really cool how they can just like get up on the chair and then get up on the countertop. So I was like, I want to see what this is like from the cat's perspective. And so I kind of got on all fours and climbed up the chair on the countertop. And I'm confessing this to you. <laughs> and Jayla also thought, it was funny, but not so much from my perspective, but from her perspective of me looking like an idiot on the countertop. So she took a video of it. And so here I am just, you know, looking at life through this cat's perspective. And, you know, it was kind of cool, but the reality is I really couldn't see fully what the cat's perspective was because here I was, a 27-year-old man on top of the countertop, on all fours, looking like an idiot. But, but with that, I realized, you know what? I could not see the world from the cat's perspective. I couldn't even, if I wanted to, see life from your perspective because I don't have the same experiences, the same, event, the same life events that's happened as, as you have had. But the reality is there's one person's perspective who I can have and who's actually invited me to have his perspective, which is God, which is crazy. Because here, 
the creator of life and everything within it has invited me to have his perspective and has actually called me to have his perspective. And it's through the lens of faith that he invites me to see his world in my world. And all of a sudden, he's invited me into this place where he's like, hey, I want you to see everything through my perspective. And so much so that he's actually called us to be born again. And, and I don't know about you guys, but it's great to see babies experience life. And it's also great to see kittens experience life. We have a kitten. And it's so much fun because you realize, like, everything is exploration, you know? It's like they want to crawl and climb over everything. You know, my shoelace, I guess, is a snake or a mouse or something because it just jumps on it. And, you know, you almost can't blame it because it's like they're having so much fun. And you see the way kids experience life and how they light up and everything is new and fresh. And then sometimes you see how people who've had life happen to them and how they experience life. And it doesn't look as much fun. (laughs) Because all of a sudden, they have all these filters and these life experiences which they view the world. And a lot of it isn't faith, it's actually fear. And so the life they're living is through a life of fear. And it's not, oh my gosh, Look, there's a crevice over there. We got to go explore. It's like, yeah, there's something in there, and it's probably going to give you, I don't know, a disease or something. (laughs) Like, they think with the worst case scenarios because fear says, I'm fear. (laughs) And (laughs) every situation you see is, (laughs) yeah, deep, deep right there, Michael, deep. (laughs) (laughs) that was a good one (laughs) fear says I'm fear (laughs) can write that one down but really fear colors everything and it makes it the worst case scenario and all of a sudden God has invited us into this race and with that he says I want you to grow more and more childlike I want you to grow less and less fearful and more and more alive And all of a sudden, he's invited us into this race. And with this race, we have to take on faith. And faith gives us this childlike perspective to say, Father, how do you see this perspective? And all of a sudden, our lenses are taken off. And now we're seeing life in full color, full vibrancy, and full of passion so that we can run this race to the beauty that he's put He's put eternity into our hearts and no one can fathom the depth and the beauty of what he started from the beginning to the end. So what does it look like to run the race? It looks like here I'm starting and God, I'm asking you to change my lens, to make me childlike and fill me with faith to see from your perspective. And all of a sudden when I'm in the race, he's given me a rhythm and the rhythm is his grace and his grace lets me explore more and more of him. And that's so much better to me than 
You know, like I want to be a Ryan Hardbonky in the sense of being on fire till the day that I die. But I believe the only way that is possible is if we grow more and more childlike. I hate that, you know, a lot of times in the church, historically we're known for growing more and more bitter, (laughs) more and more hurt, more and more frustrated, more and more coming up with theologies that say why God doesn't do what he says he is. Ugh, no. <laughs> and, and you're like, like, I know it's possible. <laughs> because I'm growing more and more in love with Jesus. And, and, and I've been at this thing for not that long, but at least 10 or so years. And I'm just like feeling more and more passionate. And I don't ever, you know, like, I don't ever want to not be on fire for him. I don't ever want to lose my sense of wonder. And I believe the way that God does that. You know, you look at the life, you look at the life of, of the disciples. And I love how Jesus leads their ordinary, the things that they used to do ordinary, ordinarily, and he makes them extraordinary. Like these guys were fishermen. And, you know, they're used to, to fishing. They're used to, um, you know, all the different tricks and techniques to fish. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes up and he teaches them a whole new way to fish. It's cast your net on the other side. Oh, thanks, God. Like, <laughs> spirit fingers as I toss the net. And all of a sudden, what do they do? They pull up a huge, massive load of fish. He changes the way they did the ordinary. Like, do you realize how many miracles are regarding, like, boats, fish, and, and, and all these things in the Bible? And, and why maybe that is? Well, all the disciples were fishermen, or not all the disciples, but most of the disciples were fishermen. And so, with that, how did Jesus teach them? He came into their world and say, hey, this is my world, and this is how I do things. So all of a sudden when there's no food and, you know, we got five loaves and two fishes, what do we do? Well, well Jesus, we don't have any food. Oh, yeah, but, but bring, bring them to me. All of a sudden, oh, more than enough food. All of a sudden the fishermen who are out on the water who probably experienced lots of storms there's a storm brewing and things are crazy and they feel like their life is about to end and Jesus is sleeping. That's God's world. <laughs> Jesus, get up. What are you doing? We're going to die. Don't you know? That was their, that's how they responded. Don't you know? The thing is, he did know. <laughs> he was teaching them. See, this is what I do in storms. He was teaching them, when, when there's lack, actually I have abundance. See, in their world, this was their restraints, and God was taking off the restraint and putting in faith. This is how we operate in my world. And to me, it's just so beautiful, you know, like, even... <laughs> 
even when Jesus returns to them, what do they go back to? They go back to the same thing they were doing before Jesus came. A lot of times when, when we mess up, a lot of times we go back to the same thing we know how to do. And what does Jesus do? He comes into that world that we know how to do, and all of a sudden, once again, Jesus is like, okay, you know, let's teach them how to catch more fish. And teaches them what it looks like to live in his world. And Jesus walks on water, and there's like a ton of other boats and fishing stories. And, and I find it funny because, you know, Jesus talked to them through boats and fishes, and I'm like, man, you were really into, into fish, you know, Jesus. And, and I think about me, and, and probably you could say the same to yourself, as Jesus talks to you in ways that make sense to you. And, you know, for me, Jesus is like, oh my God, you must really love real estate or something because you talk to me through that, but I like real estate. Or Jesus, you must really like nature because you always talk to me through nature. No, it's I like nature. But what I've realized about Jesus is that he speaks to us in our language and he comes into our world and changes the way in which we see our world. And in that exchange, he also wants us to see his world. Because the disciples went from fishing, and Jesus says, I want to make you fishers of men. See, throughout our life and in this race, God is leading us into a new place. And he comes into our world and invades it and teaches us how we should think and see life. And with that journey, he also wants us to come into his world. Because he invades our world, but he also wants us to learn how to come into his world. So that we're, like a lot of times, like, Jesus, come down. And he's like, no, come up here. You see, at the end of the disciples' life, what happened was Jesus even came to Peter, and Peter said, hey, in, in the end times, people will take you where you don't want to go. And he was prophesying to him how he was going to die. So all of a sudden, it came from this Jesus who's, wrecking their world and teaching them how to operate as fishermen into all of a sudden I've taught you how to become fishers of men and then all of a sudden I'm going to teach you how to give your whole life to me. Do you see the progression? And so what does that have to do? All of a sudden John goes up into heaven and Jesus says come up here and John discovers Jesus in a way that he had never seen him before. He said he felt like a dead man before God because of the brilliance of who God was. What am I saying is on earth, when Jesus walked with the disciples, he came and invaded their, their world, but there's a progression where we mature in God and all of a sudden we say, Father, we trust you so much, we, we know that you're faithful. We know that you, because we've had experience with you, that, that you are who you say you are. And with that, faith and confidence starts to arise where we say, we want to be with you where you are. See, Jesus comes where we are and he teaches us that he will come to us. But he wants us to come and build confidence so that we can go where he is. Is that making sense? Yeah. 
Because it says we're seated with him in heavenly places. And, and my desire for us is, is one, I'm, I, I want us to provoke us to be childlike in our pursuit of God, to remove lenses to have passion, to realize that there's actually more. It doesn't matter if you're, however long you've been walking with Jesus, there is so much more in the disciples, in their life, like every single time they were being stretched to a new level and to a new limit. And often, what does, you know, the goal, we want revival, but, but, what I'm realizing is, is, you know, you see these bulletins, and the bulletins say revival 6.30 to 8.30, you know? Like, and I get it. Like, I'm not knocking on it at all. You know, revival service, I'm not knocking on it at all. There's, there's like, that's beautiful, and, you know, we, we go after revival. But what I'm realizing is, is revival is not a moment in time. It's a life. And I think so often... You know, we see revivals that have lasted a certain amount of time, or we see men of God, revivalists who carry the fire for a certain amount of time, and, and then you see and they like get off the rocker. And it started to make me realize, you know what, my new definition personally for me of revival is to completely and always be overwhelmed by God. And to live a life that is such, and with that life, I want to be more and more childlike to where I am seeing the world completely and always in a new way. Because he's completely and always changing my lens and growing me in faith. So much so that I have faith that wherever he leads me, my heart will say yes and amen. And so, <clears throat> I, uh, I just want us to realize that, that wherever you're at right now, it says he saves the best wine for last. And in my race, and when I was running, like, it changed my perspective at, you know, mile seven when I'm completely just getting so blasted by God. Even more, you know, I was feeling good in the beginning, but towards the end I was just like, ooh, like I was overwhelmed by God. And my heart for us is no matter what race we're in and what we're going through, I want us to be overwhelmed by God. And I want our hearts to be alive in his presence. And I believe the way we do that is we say, Father, I'm going to give you my perspective so that I can see through yours. God of the universe has given you the opportunity to see life through his eyes. Like, come on, that's crazy. I wonder what Jesus was seeing when he was doing the miracles, like all of a sudden, like the disciples like, oh, we only have, you know, uh, whatever, five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus is probably just looking at this like pile of fish and like bread. And he's like, <laughs> like, isn't that so much fun 
to live that way, when all of a sudden you see someone who needs a miracle and you see a leg that's not there, and you're just like, like, I want to live that way, like truly like a child. And, and I don't want my experience to dictate my lens on how I see him. Because if I let my experience dictate my lens on how I see God, all of a sudden I've traded my faith for fear. And all of a sudden I'm expecting the worst. And that's no way to run a race. And so I want to pray for us that we would run the race and run it to the fullness. That we would live every day with the awareness that we have new grace and new mercies to discover the Lord in new ways. And I want to be John when I'm about to die. I want to be taken up to heaven. And I want to see Jesus and be like, oh my God, I've never seen you in that way. Like, come on, he spent years with Jesus on the earth and all of a sudden he's with him in heaven before he dies and he's seen him and he's completely undone and, and so has such a holy fear and awe of God that he actually has to be strengthened to continue going. And what does Jesus say to him? Say to him he says, come up here. And I want you guys to all hear this is I, I feel the invitation of God that says, come up here. So I, I believe we've all had experiences with God in our world. But it's not okay just to experience Him in our world. We have to go up to His world. And we have to see what He sees, because in order to bring about what He wants on this earth, it must only come from His position And so I want to pray for a new level of faith, a new level of fire, a new level of childlikeness, and a rhythm to sustain it and to keep going in his grace and in his mercy. Do you guys want that? Okay, so let's just all stand. Father, I just thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. God, I just sent your presence.
I just sense, uh, <clears throat> I see, I actually feel like there's some people who are going to feel just a, a presence over the top of their head. It's like this, uh, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's like this lightness over your head. And I feel like if you feel that, God's saying that, um, that he's changed the season in your life. And, and with that, it's not that you're doing something wrong. It's just that he's doing a new thing. And I feel like with that, <clears throat> confidence is going to hit your heart right now <laughs> because you've felt very unconfident because you feel like you've been doing something wrong. I just feel the Lord's pleasure over you. It says, you're not doing something wrong. I just want to show you a new side of me. And I also, I feel like people are going to feel like almost there's this, uh, like when you, like, drop on a roller coaster you get that stomach feeling I feel like some of you guys are actually experiencing that right now and I feel like what God's saying to that is that um, <clears throat> you haven't seen nothing yet <laughs> and and I feel like w with that I, you have such a big dream and such a big heart to see things and you wonder if it's just yourself and your crazy imagination and I just feel like God's saying, <laughs> you're about to live in some, in some like, like heart-dropping moments in the sense of like, oh, this is crazy. <laughs> and so I just bless that in Jesus' name. So Jesus, I just pray right now for us all. I pray that your fire would come and hit our hearts. Uh, Father, <laughs> we want to live in our first love, and we don't even want to know anything else but first love and living in fully passionate for you, fully <laughs> in love with you. God, I just pray that our fire would burn brighter and brighter, and our heart would become more and more alive. And God, I pray that anything, any amount of fear that keeps us from love would just fall off right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Bless you, bless you. If you need prayer for anything, find someone, and they would love to pray for you.